Hey, good morning to you all. Just let me get wired up here. Here we go. Special welcome to you if you're a father. To those joining us online, God bless you. Trust you uh, are enjoying and engaging this morning and are being blessed as much as we are here. Well, it's lovely to be here and it's great to be able to share with you. Special welcome to you if you're a father this morning. I trust you had breakfast in bed, if that's what floats your boat. I know for some that uh, crumbs in the bed and the little one said that you just don't want to know about that. So, um, but my prayer is you'll be richly blessed this morning and uh, throughout the day in some way. feel honoured. If you have a Bible, you might like to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And whilst you're doing that, I would like you to imagine for a moment that Michael Jordan was coming to Christchurch. And uh, he wanted to select the best basketball team ever. And he's going to do it publicly. And uh, you love basketball. And you happen to be lucky enough to get some seats to, to watch this spectacle take place. You're going to be there at the selection. And you're sitting there in front of you. There's a row of basketball greats standing there. The athletic prowess. You can see the six-pack rippling in their tight T-shirts. And you're thinking about your family pack and the fish and chip meal you had the night before, which didn't help. And there they are. And you're, you're sitting there right there and you're thinking, this is absolutely crazy and amazing that I should be able to watch this incredible spectacle. And then Michael Jordan comes out and the crowd goes absolutely ballistic. They're roaring as he, and he stands there looking at the crowd and he begins to survey these athletes that are standing before you. And then with real purpose, he pushes through them, pushes them aside and walks straight up to you and says, I want you. And the crowd goes, what? And you I don't even play basketball. Nevertheless, I want you. And you're thinking, like that would ever happen. But the reality is, that's exactly what God did. He pushed through the crowd for all the amazing people in the world. And he says, I want you. And I want me. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now let's face it, we've all been in situations where we have not been chosen in childhood, not chosen for that part in the school play, that solo in the choir at school, not chosen for the football team, the cricket team, the softball team, not chosen for that job, not chosen, full stop. Not chosen carries a blunt message that we have no worth, that we're not good enough, not useful, that we are good for, well, nothing. But here in this passage of scripture that we just read, we see that our Heavenly Father pushed through the crowd, if you like, in order to choose us. And in fact, what we hear, what we read here at least reveals some things that I'd like to unpack this morning that our Heavenly Father has done over the next few minutes, if you like. The first thing we see that our Heavenly Father has done is that He in fact has chosen us. He chose you and He chose me. Turn to the person beside you and say, can you believe it? He chose you. In verse 4, he says this, For he chose us 
in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now these verses highlight two doctrines that scholars have grappled with for some considerable numbers of years. And the first is that of election and the other is predestination. We don't have much time this morning to unpack these properly, but can I say that much like the doctrine of the Trinity, it's been said that to try to explain election and you'll lose your mind, but try to explain it away and you're likely to lose your soul. Jesus said in John 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and have appointed you. So salvation begins with God and not with us. And those who have not yet had a revelation of all that Jesus did for them on the cross, do not of their own volition, left to their own devices, suddenly just start seeking God. In fact, Romans 3 says this, it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. The truth is God in his love seeks us out. In fact, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And in verse 4, it says that we have been chosen before the creation of the universe. This is the amazing thing. God knew in advance that in giving Adam and Eve the free gift, or at least the gift of free will, that they would disobey. And that would cause a separation between him and them. Why is that? It's because God is holy and sin separates. Sin creates a gulf between us and him. And given that, he went ahead anyway with this, with his, with his creation, as he wanted to show the extent of his love by sending the most precious thing he had, his own son Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin and for mine. Now, I don't know about you, but if I planned out something and could see in advance that it was doomed to fail, I think I'd stop. I don't think I'd pursue it any further. I wouldn't proceed. But here's the thing. In the Father's heart, there has always been a cross. There has always been a cross. He knew that he would have to give his son's life for us before he even went ahead with creating the universe. So great is his love for us. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. There's always been a cross in the heart of the Father. So great is his love for us. We have to got to realize this. The cross is not God's plan B. The cross has always been God's plan A. Adam and Eve, in disobeying God, did not take God by surprise. He wasn't caught off guard and suddenly thrown into a tailspin, desperate to salvage his creation when they did sin. From the absolute beginning, God initiated our salvation. And as we were chosen before the creation of the world, our salvation was then set wholly in grace. And it was not on the basis of anything you've done or I've done. We were on a road that was leading to all that we deserve, separation from him in eternity. Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages, in other words, the penalty of sin is death. You see, we were receiving all that we were deserved, death. We don't much like being called sinners, do we? But that's what we were. But in love, he chose us. He chose us. We've been chosen in Christ, and it's not of ourselves. The song we heard just on the screen a moment ago that Jeremy wrote, speaks about the fact that we're not forgotten, not abandoned. We are his precious child. He has led us to the Father's arms. 
We are chosen by him for a purpose, and that purpose is that we would be made holy and blameless in his sight. Did we respond to God's grace against our own will? No. We responded because his grace enables us and makes us willing to do so. And the mystery of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility are intriguing, and I don't know if we'll ever really come to comprehend it, really, the sight of the grave. As I said, we are chosen for a purpose to be holy and blameless in his sight. And obviously something must happen in our, in our lives before we can become holy and blameless, right? I mean, we don't just suddenly start acting holy. Well, God addressed that before we were ever born, which leads us to the second thing that our Heavenly Father has done for us, and that is he has adopted us as sons. In verse 5 it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You'll notice that we are chosen to be adopted into his family. Now, Walter Isaacson, the author of the biography, Steve Jobs, shares how Steve Jobs recalls standing on the front lawn talking to his neighbour, a young girl called Lisa, and telling her that he in actual fact was adopted. And she said this, so does that mean your real parents didn't want you? And Steve Jobs said, whoosh, like a lightning bolt went through his mind and he started crying and he ran inside to his parents and, and asked them that question and they sat him down and they said this, no, you don't understand, we specifically picked you out. And from then on, Steve Jobs says, I realised that I was not abandoned, I was chosen, I was special. And that's what we are, as Christ's followers, we're not abandoned, but chosen and special. Paul is saying that under divine inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, that God chose his children and in love predestined them for adoption. Predestined means to predetermine, and it refers to purpose. Predestined to be adopted. Primarily, it's a word that is used to describe what God does with those who are saved. Now, can I say that Paul, in using the language of sons and sonship here, is actually a good thing? He's not being sexist. I say that because at the time of writing this, only sons received an inheritance. Daughters got nothing. So Paul is saying that we're all God's children as adopted as heirs or as sons. We all have inheritance rights. We all are on an equal footing in his sight. <laughs> we see here that we're adopted into the family of God. We're now part of his family with inheritance rights and enjoying all the benefits that that entails. And what are those benefits? Well, verse 3 refers to the fact that we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And in the Old Testament, the blessings the children of Israel enjoyed were primarily physical. Promised land, uh, water from a rock, a pillar of fire and cloud to lead them, bread from heaven, quail that blew in from the sky. But in the New Testament, believers, or at least as New Testament believers, our blessings are primarily spiritual. As adopted sons with inheritance rights, we can now lay claim to those blessings and enjoy our spiritual wealth, the riches we have in Christ. I read of Gerald, Gerald Penix, who along with his wife waited 15 years in order to have children and couldn't have a child through the natural process, so were asked if they would adopt, and they said yes, they would. And so they were standing before a judge, and the judge pointed with his finger at Gerald, just see a foot and a half long bony finger, a judge pointing at you, and saying, is anyone coercing you into adopting this little boy? And after he assured the judge that no, they were doing it out of love, the judge then made this statement, from today on, he is your son. He may disappoint you, even grieve you, but he is your son. Everything you own one day will be his, and he will bear your name. 
Then he looked at the clerk and gave this command. So order a change in this child's birth certificate that it may reflect that these are the parents of this child. Jared Panix went on to say this. It was then that I realized that my heavenly father loved me so much and without coercion, he loved me and gave his all to me. And on that day, he changed my name and I gladly bear his name and his image. We're all part of his family. And we have all of his riches at our disposal. And we bear his name. And we are to walk accordingly. That's the power of adoption. God has given us a rich inheritance, a rich standing in his family. It is so we as adult sons, adult children, may lay claim immediately to our spiritual wealth. A baby can't legally claim their inheritance, but an adult child can. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. He says this, What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the, his father. So also, when we were under age, we are in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. In other words, Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. We don't have to wait. We can lay claim to our inheritance as adopted children. Too often we walk around with a slave mentality, not realizing that all the resources our Heavenly Father has are available to us, his adopted children. Spiritual blessings we have in Christ, which Paul actually references in verse 3, who says we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. They're actually outlined in chapter 1 of Ephesians, and I would encourage you throughout this week, maybe you could read the rest of this chapter, but it says in verse 4 that we are chosen, that we are made holy, that we have and live within his unconditional love. In verse 5, that we are adopted. In verse 6, that we are accepted and not rejected. In verse 7, that we are redeemed and no longer a slave to sin, having been forgiven of our sins. In verse 8, we have the richness of his grace. In verse 9, that we've made, made at least his will has been made known to us. In verse 13, we have his truth, the word of his truth, and we are sealed with his Holy Spirit. And in verse 18, we have the hope of his calling and the riches of his glory and, and his inheritance. And in verse 20, his power, his great power lives within us. That's pretty cool to receive all that through Jesus. It's amazing. And it's all ours. Verse 6 says, he generously poured it all out on us because of his grace. And we are accepted to him. Well, what is his grace? Well, someone once put it this way. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. We have it all because of Jesus. We can't make ourselves acceptable to him, but he by his grace has done that. And that's the eternal position that we have and it will not change. Which now leads to the third thing our Heavenly Father has done for us. He has redeemed us. In him, verse 7 says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. This means that he has purchased us, set us free by paying a price, for that's what the word redemption means. We've been brought with a price. It cost Jesus his life. It was not his sinless life or his you know, moral example, but his death 
in our place by his blood. That saved us. As Charles Spurgeon, a preacher from many, many years ago, said this, it is not redemption through his power, it is through his blood. It is not through his love, it is through his blood. That is the price of our redemption. In chapter 9, verse 22 of the book of Hebrews, the writer says this, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without, and get this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It goes right back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve first sinned and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they realized that they were naked. Their eyes were open. And so they got fig leaves and sewed them together in order to cover their nakedness. But that didn't suffice. That didn't suffice. There had to be the shedding of blood. The Lord made garments of skin for them to wear. And for that to happen, there must have been blood shed. In the Roman Empire, at the time when Paul was writing this, it's estimated there were approximately 60 million slaves. And they were bought and sold like people sold and bought any other chattel. And at that time, a person could have bought a slave and set them free. And it was quite a legitimate thing to do. And Jesus has done that for us. And because of that, we are now therefore free from the law and its requirements. We are now free from slavery to sin. And we are now free from the power of our enemy, the devil having been rescued from his domain and his dominion. And if we were slaves, we would be poor, but we are sons and therefore we are rich. As verse 7 and 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Lavished, what an incredible word lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He knew what he was up about. He knew what he was doing. It's great. He's lavished his riches, the riches of his grace on us. He did not hold back. I'm aware that some may find this a little difficult this morning. Maybe it's because you no longer have a father. He may have passed on. He may have left you. Maybe you find it hard to equate the idea of a generous, loving, and benevolent father with the example that you had of a dad. Maybe your earthly father let you down, fell short of all that a father should be. He was anything but loving and generous. That can be incredibly distressing, and I don't want to belittle your situation or experience. But that said, is it not true that that is what makes the idea of having been chosen and adopted and redeemed by our Heavenly Father all the more amazing and powerful? He is rich in grace. And his grace is available and well able to cover over all our hurt, our disappointment, our pain, our guilt, and our shame. He is rich in blessings towards us and having lavished those spiritual blessings on us in Jesus. No one need miss out. I read of the Jones family who adopted an eight-year-old girl who'd previously been fostered or adopted by another family. Apparently, for one reason or another, whenever that previous family went to Disney World, they never took her. They only ever took their biological children. And it seemed that it was as a result of this eight-year-old girl's misbehaving. So by the time she came to live with the Jones family, she had seen all the photographs, heard all about the Disney characters, the rides and the parades. But when it came to passing through the gates of the Magic Kingdom, she had always been left on the outside. So when the Jones family planned a trip to Disney World themselves, they did not expect what happened. The newest addition to their family began playing up, stealing food, whispering insults into her sister's ear, fighting with her, telling lies, those type of things. 
The father says that a couple of days prior to their Disney trip, he pulled her onto his lap to talk to her about her latest misdemeanor. Apparently, she said, I know what you're going to do. You're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? He said the thought hadn't even entered his mind, but then it dawned on him. She had realized that she could not earn her way into the Magic Kingdom. She had tried that in her previous family and failed every time. She therefore adopted a behavior that put her further away from her dream to go. And he simply said to her, is this a trip we're taking as a family? And she nodded. And then he said, are you part of this family? And she nodded again. She had tear-rimmed eyes and big brown ones, apparently. (laughs) Then you're going with us. We're not leaving you behind. Apparently, her behavior did not improve much at all, right up until the time she entered the gates of Disney World. Well, they enjoyed their first day there, and that night back at the hotel, a very different child emerged. She was exhausted, quiet, thoughtful, a little weepy at times, but that month-long facade of rebellion had faded. When bedtime came, the father said that he prayed with her and held her and asked her, how was your first day at Disney World? Apparently, she closed her eyes and snuggled down into her bed along with her stuffed unicorn. And for a moment, after, at least after a moment, she opened her eyes so slightly and said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World. And it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. And isn't that the message of God's adoption? Of his choosing of us and his redemption? It's nothing to do with us. It's all about him. It's about who we belong to. Having been chosen and adopted and redeemed, we now are children of God with inheritance rights, part of God's family, holy and dearly loved, and nothing can snatch us from his hand. So on this Father's Day, as we again consider the love of our Heavenly Father that he has lavished on us, and think about the life that we can now live, it's not with a slave mentality, but one with a head held high, not in pride, but with dignity. We're part of the king of all kings' family. Royalty, if you like. In fact, First Peter says that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, that we belong to God. We are adopted into his family. The price has been paid. We therefore enjoy his favor. We live with a smile of God upon us. We can boldly approach his throne room of grace with our requests. Psalm 84 says, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And we are blameless because of the cross. From our lives there should should flow an incredible sense of worship and praise. We have received his mercy and his grace. We do not get what we do deserve, but we do get what we don't deserve. As verse 3 says, thanks and praise be to God our Father who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. (laughs) Amazing. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me please if you're able? I'd love to pray with you and then we're going to worship. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you that on this Father's Day we can again pause and offer our praise and thanksgiving to you for the incredible gift of your son, Jesus, through whom we have adoption into your family, the family of God. Thank you that you love us. You pushed through the crowd and chose us and redeemed us. And because of that, we don't need to be held in slavery to our old sinful nature anymore, but we can walk free, free from all of that and free to walk into all you've called us to. 
we again declare that we are yours. We've been bought with the price, incredible blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are free and we are cleansed. And today we commit ourselves to you afresh. <laughs> Have your way in us, work in us that you might work through us. We so desire to reflect you well that people might see you in us and know that we are part of your family. And as a result, want to know about the hope we have in you, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.